0: everyone and welcome to this week's edition of Wall Street to Main Street, where I give you the rundown on the market activity, give you some commentary, and my analysis going forward. So let's get to the market performance for the week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average closed at a level of 23,723, down 0.22%. S&P 500 closed at a level of 2,830, down 0.21%. And the NASDAQ closed at a level of 8,605, down 0.34%. So as you can see, all the three indices were just down uh, fractionally for the week. I have a very special guest who has uh, joined me today for this uh, podcast. He is a medical doctor. He is an ER doctor. And I've known him for a long time. He's been in the medical field. Uh, He's an expert in, in his line of work. So I'm so fortunate to have him uh, join us today. So at this point, I'd like to kind of turn it over to Jigar. Let him kind of uh, talk about himself, uh, give a bio about him, and we'll start the discussion. Here's Dr. Jigar Patel. Well, uh, first of all, uh, Nayan,
1: uh, thank you for having me uh, on your podcast. And It's an honor to to be able to talk about um, some of the topics that we have lined up for today.
0: Thank you for coming.
1: Uh, a little bit about me. Um, I am um, an emergency room physician, I practice in suburban Atlanta, and uh, I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm the son of a small business owner and um, an, in, an immigrant, so I'm very proud of, of that history in, uh, in my family. Uh, I studied in uh, Birmingham at UAB, uh, went to college and medical school there, and then did my residency in Dallas, Texas at Parkland Hospital. And after finishing residency, I moved to Atlanta uh, and practice in suburban Atlanta. Uh, and then, as if all those years in school weren't enough, uh, during my practice, I decided to go back into business school and get an MBA at Auburn University um, just a few years back. So that that was a an interesting uh, couple of years of, of learning something different about the
0: world different than medicine so that that was interesting. that is interesting. Well so uh, we've got a doctor and a business guy uh, got his MBA and uh, I know his dad uh, our family we've known each other for a long time, my family and his family so you know they're entrepreneurs and, and business folks. So thank you very much uh, Doc once again uh, for joining me. Uh, we'd like to, I'd like to uh, start our discussion about uh, what's going on. Everybody knows uh, the current uh, pandemic that we're in. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, Corona and just wanted to get your medical perspective of the Corona, uh, how it originated, uh, what the statistics are, and where we're headed from here. So I'll go over some basics of co-
1: coronavirus and COVID-19. Uh, Coronavirus is a type of virus, Um, there's a number of uh, coronaviruses, and specifically in the news we've heard a lot about the current outbreak of COVID-19. So let me explain the difference between the two terms. First of all, the specific virus that is causing COVID-19 is the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Uh, That is a specific type of coronavirus. And it is causing a syndrome or a disease called COVID-19. So the mm. disease is called COVID-19 and the virus is SARS-CoV-2. SARS-CoV-2 okay. You may remember a few years back we had an outbreak of SARS. Well, yes. that was caused by SARS-CoV-1 One. virus. So now we have a 2. Um, so this is a sequel. The numbering system. So this, this is, is a sequel. This is the sequel. Um, this virus is uh, said to have originated in China. Uh, It came from an animal source and then was transmitted into the human population and is currently uh, being transferred from human to human. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're all aware there's been a lot of stuff in the news about how it spreads regarding um, uh, droplets from saliva and uh, sneezing and coughing and and the like. So uh, we know about that. Uh, Up to this point, um, we are recording on uh, May the 2nd. And we have, so far, 3.3 million cases worldwide. And 1.1 million of those cases are in the United States. Uh, In the United States, we've seen over 66,000 deaths. And what the listeners should recognize is those deaths occur in uh, the majority of those deaths are occurring in patients who have underlying illnesses. They're of advanced age. They might be obese. They might have health conditions like heart disease, diabetes, obesity. Um, Those are causing um, most of the deaths. The underlying conditions makes it complicated for patients to recover. But uh, the good news is is that 80% of cases, approximately 80%, are mild. And 20% are severe, moderate to severe. So the bulk of the cases are mild, and uh, we see patients getting well after a couple of weeks and returning to normal life. So that's in a nutshell, what coronaviruses is, is and where it come from, and how many cases we're seeing.
0: So uh, one question I have for you is uh, recently, uh, I've been uh, hearing reports uh, about uh, the demographics of uh, coronavirus, specifically, uh, which demographic uh, is affected the most. And they're saying that uh, the m- uh, majority, of the folks who are getting coronavirus uh, is the African American population. And I've seen statistics where certain states it's like over 70 to 80%. So can you shed some light about that or do we not have enough uh, information at this point to figure out why it's one particular demographic uh, getting hit the hardest? Um, You're you're right
1: that there have been areas, communities that have been affected more than other communities. Uh, I, I initially, we did not see data out of the CDC or the WHO that said one specific community because of the way that community's genetics are that they're wired to get this illness. And I think that we have to all be careful and let some of the information kind of develop over the next few months to truly understand which communities are more susceptible. There has been... um, A greater impact in the african-american community in certain parts of the united states Uh, i don't think this panned out in california if you look at the numbers but certainly in other parts like detroit and new york city and uh, new orleans that we might see these kinds of numbers but the epidemiologists are going to have to do a deeper dive to figure out exactly why is it that that it's a genetic problem? Is it an access to care problem? Is it an underlying medical um, uh, issue problem? Uh, We don't know the answer to that. We certainly do know that if a community has more diabetes or more hypertension or heart disease then they're more likely to pass away from coronavirus. Um, But I'm hesitant to say that just because someone is of a certain ethnicity that they are more likely to get it. I think there's a lot more complicating factors
0: that we just will have to sort out in the next few months. Uh, I have another question. So since uh, uh, the COVID-19 is, uh, I guess you could say a variation of the SARS virus, is that
1: correct? So COVID-19 yeah. is an Ill, a syndrome. That is caused by the SARS CoV 2 virus. Right. So SARS was caused by the SARS CoV 1 virus. So, what, what's the sister virus? Okay. So, 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 like so
0: there is some correlation between uh, CoV 1 and CoV 2?
1: Yeah, so they all belong to the coronavirus family, family
0: okay. of viruses. So, my question would be then is uh, if we have a vaccine for SARS, why is it so difficult to get a vaccine for uh, CoV 2 right now? Um
1: each virus has to have its own vaccine um some of this starts to get outside of my expertise but the basic understanding is that each even in flu let's take flu for example right. that's a really common uh virus that we all get every year uh we have there are different strains of flu right. and we have to predict which strain is going to hit the united states each fall and right. the virus uh, the vaccine is produced based on that um, that assumption of which strain is going to come to the United States. Right. Um, and you have to get the, the right strain, you have to get the right vaccine, and uh, to be mass-produced and administered. I, I don't think it's as easy as, well, we have this vaccine for this virus, well, why can't we just right. in a day duplicate that or something
0: like that? There's more to it. Sure, I'm sure there was, but I thought that that there might be close enough close enough correlation between the two that might make it easier. But I'm sure there's thousands of variations. So uh, next question I have is, uh, where do you see uh, the uh, coronavirus uh, heading from here? I know we want everybody wants to see the bending of the curve, and we're kind of seeing that in in, in some of the uh, states. And you know we've got several states. I think probably twenty plus states have already started to open up the economy in some form or fashion. Uh, when do you think, in your opinion, uh, do you think we'll be uh, in a position where we can say, yeah, it's kind of safe enough for us to get out and maybe still uh, have some social distancing protocols? But when do you see that? And number two, there is a lot of talk about uh, a vaccine. And they're saying that the earliest will be one year. And it could be as late as a year and a half. So could you give us your thoughts on those two? So I'm going to make some comments that are more of my personal opinion.
1: And I don't think they represent everybody in the medical community. Uh, And I just want to make sure that that's clear. I think that we as a society are now having to make some tough decisions. Mm -hmm. Because there are two extremes to this question. We can stay locked down. Right and try to prevent every single death possible. Or we could succumb to the economic aspirations that we all have and say open everything up and, and we don't uh, necessarily um, uh, restrain ourselves in, in, in where we go and what we do and the deaths or the cases might right. spike. Um, I think there's a happy medium... But we all have to understand that this is a really tough question between economy and what's the allowable number of deaths. Basically, what are we, we going to tolerate?
0: Risk versus reward scenario.
1: It sounds cruel, and I don't mean to be cruel or offend anybody, but there are things that this question has is very difficult to answer. I know. Um, I think that our country has probably peaked and the curve is flat we flatten the curve we're at the plateau. and um, we may be on our way down in terms of new cases per day and deaths per day That's i good. have to look at the numbers again but it seems as if we peaked and we're on our way down but there will still be challenges the elderly will still have mm-hmm. to stay indoors the um places that have large crowds in small spaces will still have a decision to make uh... we will still have to decide on how often do we want to be in a plane and travel in Mm a uh... really congested or compact uh... vehicle with lots of other people uh... we still have areas of the country that are more dense densely populated than other areas so these questions of when can we open up the economy are going to be uh... they have to be made on an individual basis I think different states, uh, and even in one state, I would venture to guess that upstate New York is different from New York of course, City. absolutely. In terms of where people are and how close they are mm-hmm. and, and the like. So uh, I don't have any magic answers. Mm-hmm. But these are all the thoughts that come to mind as of I course. talk about this. And then about the vaccine, what are your thoughts? Vaccine is still um, a, a long ways off. Um, there is... a. There has been discussion of what does victory look like? And to me, does that mean uh, that we have a vaccine and we can protect the population? Does that mean we have a treatment? Right now, we don't have a vaccine and we don't have a treatment for this illness. We have multiple companies working on potential vaccines right. and multiple companies working on treatments, uh, but we are several months away from a vaccine. Uh, there are
0: some in early phases of right. trials. Good. Very Good. Uh, So moving on, I wanted to talk about uh, the economic impact of Corona. So as everybody can imagine, uh, this has had a huge impact on not just the uh, U.S. economy, but the world economy, right? So as you had mentioned, uh, the virus originated in China. That was towards the end of December of last year. And so I think in January, sometime in mid-January, I think is when uh, China shut down uh, their country. And so that's kind of what started everything. So, you know, trade was shut down and then eventually it kind of spread and became a pandemic. So, the rest of the, you know, started affecting the rest of the world population. So, other economies started to shut down. So, you know, as you can imagine, uh, when uh, the wheels of commerce stop. There's no trade. There's, you know, uh, um, earnings are down, sales are down for companies, so it has a huge impact on on the world economy. Now, specifically, if you look at the United States, we I think we're kind of on the tail end, and uh, I can uh, tell you around March, middle of March is actually when one of my businesses uh, was was affected very hard. Uh, I have a hotel, and so from March. Fifteenth onwards is when we started to see a huge precipitous decline in occupancy when we went from 90 percent down to 20 percent in just four days So it, it it really has had a huge impact on, on, on businesses uh, in terms of um, Unemployment so this this was the fifth week where we've uh, had high levels of unemployment So we're at like 30 million people unemployed. That's a lot 30 million people unemployed. So that's five million people more uh, out of a job versus uh, all the job gains that we had uh, after the Great Recession. So it's, it's, it's been a, 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 a big, big uh, uh, problem. So that's just on, on, on the uh, unemployment side. If you look at uh, oil, oil is actually in a depression right now. We've gone from oil that was around hovering around $50 uh, just a couple of months ago down to last week or beginning of last week, uh, Monday, when the May uh, futures contract, and it was expiring Tuesday, went down to negative $37. First time ever in history. So if you can imagine, Dr. J., uh, you could have been paid $37,000 for one contract to to pick up uh, oil. I have 100 barrels of oil in my backyard, and I I got paid $37 a barrel just to hold on to it. (laughs) (laughs) So so that's crazy. So if you can imagine, just just in the oil patch, uh, I'm foreseeing uh, several bankruptcies, Right now, with the current situation where the banks are kind of working with with uh, their uh, borrowers, uh, I think it's just a uh, band-aid on a bigger problem. But uh, we'll 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 see what happens. So uh, those you know, uh, the economy has been uh, impacted uh, quite a bit. I mean, if you just look at anything that uh, has to do with with uh, uh, travel, tourism, restaurants, restaurants have been hit hard. So this this basically. Uh, has hit almost any and every sector, from from construction to manufacturing to restaurant to airlines to travel, you name it, uh, uh, hospitality. So I think we've 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 uh, we, we've seen a, a huge impact uh, on on the economy. So um, let's let's move on uh, to uh, basically. What uh, got you kind of interested in the stock market? So if you can kind of shed uh, some light on uh, your interest in the market, how you got interested, how you got started, and uh, just whatever else you want to add. So I I got interested in the market probably in
1: college. Uh, there's not a distinct uh, event that comes to mind, but this was around the time of the dot-com boom mm-hmm. and bust. 99. And let me tell you, I invested in some of the worst dot com <laughs> companies ever. Um, that they probably don't, don't exist. They right don't. Now. Ev- they don't even <laughs> exist anymore. And uh, I think there's a couple that I still own three thousand shares in, and they're worth maybe as much as that ne- that barrel of oil uh, at the beginning of the week. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I remember. Uh, that it was around ninety eight, ninety nine mm-hmm. uh, in that time frame, and then everything went bust yes, um, yeah. afterwards. So that's my first memory of the market. Uh, I got interested uh, from an emotional aspect of seeing other people talk about, hearing other people talk about how much they made, and mm-hmm. this this website and this company. It was, company fr- it was a, a frenzy back then. It was in. a frenzy. Yeah. Uh, so it was more emotional at the time. Oh, I'm, this is FOMO. I'm I'm, I'm missing <laughs> out on this. And so uh, my dad was kind enough to say, "Here's a few hundred bucks. why don't you give it a try?" And I did not do well. <laughs> I didn't do well. Uh, and I didn't do well for a few years. Uh, I had to I didn't have the right strategy. I didn't know how to evaluate stocks. I didn't know what my goals were. And then as I grew up and um, started to make my own, Money and residency was a small amount. And then, then I realized, okay, my interest has shifted. You know, <laughs> It's no it's, longer dad's money. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's my money and I need to figure out what's a good strategy and what are my goals and why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Um, so that's how my interest uh, started and has evolved. And of course, um, that leads to my philosophy. And we can talk more about that if you want to. Um, but... That's yeah. How it started.
0: Yeah, I'd be curious to know uh, what's your philosophy uh, in investing. So, you know, there are many different kinds of investment strategies, investment philosophies out there, and we can do a whole podcast on that. But just to, uh, uh, curious, uh, you know, since you've been, looks like, investing for, you know, almost uh, 20 plus years, uh, how what is your strategy today? We, we kind of know what, what the strategy was when you first started, but that evolution. So w- what's, what's your investment philosophy and strategy Uh uh, as it stands today? So the way I look at it is I want to
1: become financially independent. Are That's you? my philosophy. And I think that my goal is to become financially independent as soon as possible. Okay. So people say that they're going to retire at 65. Some people say 62. My goal is to see what I can do to decrease that or make it sooner because I want right. to enjoy... The fruits of my labor, of course, sooner. And um, so that takes some sitting down and evaluation in terms of how much risk do I want to take? How much am I going to need when I retire? Um, and what is it that, and what age is it that I'm trying to accomplish at? So I took all these factors and um, came up with a strategy that's risk appropriate for me. Okay. And I've got a strict definition. I want to have a certain percentage in stocks and a certain percentage in bonds because historically this formula has returned this much over 70, 80 years and uh, I don't want to have to worry from day to day what's the portfolio looking like or which company's good and which company's bad. Because I can't discern all that like many others can, uh, I use a low cost index from investing philosophy. Um, and we can get more into that if you if you want to. But to me, I want to diversify. I want to have a good stock bond allocation, and I want to use index funds that are passively
0: managed uh, to get me to my financial independence. Got it. So that that the stock stock to bond uh, ratio, uh, how much uh, uh, do you like to see in in stocks, and how much do you like to see in bonds? But before you answer that. Uh, there's a classical definition you know when I was in my MBA you know uh, I uh, majored in finance and I, and I took a lot of classes in portfolio management. So uh, the uh, mutual fund managers and then all the research indicates a certain uh, level or certain percentage of your assets should be in stocks and certain assets should be in bonds, but that's also tied to your age and when you want to retire. Yeah so what's yeah. so what what, what uh, what's um, your philosophy there? so
1: I uh, am currently eighty twenty and I've been 80 twenty for the last 11 twelve years okay. uh, and that's my comfort level mm-hmm. I have a friend who's four days younger than me or four days older than me and he is sixty forty mm. because he just can't tolerate the risks of what one bad quarter at 80-20 right. would look like. And you right. can do all these sure. historical calculations that um, you can look up or someone can help you with in terms of if you're 80-20 versus 70-30 or 60-40, right. what's the worst possible quarter uh, in in the last, I don't know, 100 years, right. Right. Uh, something like that. Um, and he can't tolerate that number, and I can tolerate the number, and you have to find what you can tolerate that will give you the... Semi-predicted returns
0: to retire at a certain age. Certain age, sure. Um,
1: does that answer the
0: question? Absolutely, or? Yeah. okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thanks for enlightening us. Uh, so, speaking of quarters and speaking about uh, stocks, you know, uh, we're uh, we often uh, get together and have uh, coffee. So, I thought that uh, since you know we're coffee guys, uh, why don't we talk, talk about a uh, coffee company? And I think uh, pretty much uh, almost anybody uh, in the world would recognize Starbucks. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about Starbucks and their earnings, right? So this Tuesday, Starbucks came out with their uh, their Q2 earnings, right? So their uh, fiscal quarter quarter two is basically our calendar first quarter. So they uh, reported. Uh, EPS, which means earnings per share of 32 cents per share adjusted. So their adjusted earnings were 32 per, uh, cents per share on a revenue base of $6 billion. Net income came in at 328.4 million or 28 cents per share, which is down from 663.2 million or 53 cents a share from the same period last year. So year over year, they are down quite a bit. Wow, that's a lot. Absolutely, and we'll kind of get into why uh, there was a downturn there now excluding extraordinary items Starbucks earned 32 cents per share down nearly half from the prior year Catastrophic pay for baristas hourly pay increases and the cost of store safety items such as face coverings weighed on profits profits during the quarter. So basically three things catastrophic pay hourly pay increases increases and uh, safety equipment uh, for their workers is what uh, kinda caused uh, the profits uh, to have a downward spiral sales looking at net sales net sales dropped five percent to six billion dollars as Starbucks closed cafes and the government basically the government told consumers to stay at home the company estimates that it lost 915 million in sales during the quarter, due to store closures, reduced operating hours, and lower customer traffic resulting from the coronavirus pandemic. So, as we all know, because of this uh, pandemic, uh, there have been uh, stay-at-home orders, and internationally, uh, economies were shut down. So, you know, if you don't have people, consumers going out to get coffee, it's going to affect uh, their sales and their bottom line.
1: Now, this was these numbers reflect up to March thirty-first. Is yeah, that correct? Yeah, right, exactly. So, April. Uh, the entire country was shut down in
0: April, and we don't know the full effect of that, and we'll find that out we'll in three that months. We'll find in three months from okay. now. You're absolutely right. Now, Wall Street was expecting a consensus estimates, and when we say consensus, basically on Wall Street you have analysts that follow a particular company, and so all the analysts uh, will have their their uh, expectations on earnings and various different metrics, and so they consolidate that, and they uh, that consolidated number is what's called a consensus estimate. So, Wall Street's uh, consensus estimates was 34 cents per share on EPS, and they came in at 32, so they're basically two cents lower than the consensus estimate of, of Wall Street also uh, the consensus revenue was 5.89 billion so actually uh, w- Starbucks uh, did about 110 million dollars more in sales than what uh, Wall Street, was, w- Wall Street was, was expecting. Now global same-store sales declined 10 percent as overall transactions sank 13 percent. Now I just want to touch a little bit about uh, what they mean by same-store sales uh, uh, same-store sales is kind of a, misna- a misnomer. It Actually, what that means is any store that's been open 12 months or longer, that's what's considered in the same-store sales. So any store that's, that was open, let's say, uh, for five months, six months, anything less than 12 months don- doesn't get counted in these numbers. So they're looking at stores that have, that have been open for at least a year or longer. And that's the, uh, basically an apples-to-apples apples comparison. So globally, they lost uh, uh, 10%. Transactions were down 13%. In the U.S., same-store sales fell 3% during the quarter, while Chinese same-store sales plunged 50% in the same period. Now, you may ask, why is there a big disparity uh, between the uh, sales decline in, in China versus the United States? Well, we kind of have to look at the, the, the time frame, right? China was shut down sometime in early uh, January, so you, know, you see the full effect of the China uh, shutdown in these numbers. Whereas you've got only about maybe two to three uh, weeks max of the shutdown or stay-at-home orders in, in the United States, so the U.S. numbers don't accurately reflect uh, the uh, current uh, situation. Now, sales in China since then have improved after the company started reopening stores in late February, and consensus uh, stated uh, started ad- adopting. To, I'm sorry, consumers started adopting to the new normal. So we're seeing a, China, a rebound in China. Starbucks expects same-store sales in China to decline between 15 to 25% in fiscal 2020 as sales continue to rebound in the second half of, fiscal, of their fiscal year. About 98% of the Chinese stores have reopened and are operating under modified hours with enhanced safety protocols. Currently, about half- of the Starbucks US company-operated stores are closed so half the stores are closed the company is preparing to reopen US stores next week as some US states report that the number of new coronavirus cases has plateaued or even declined and you just kinda mentioned that early on that that we're seeing a plateau and even uh, uh, a bending of the curve and the cases are coming down which is good news now by early June Starbucks expects to have 90% of company operated stores in the US reopened with modified operations and hours. So hopefully, you know, this will come to fruition and if that happens, you know, we'll start to see some normal normalcy in uh, Starbucks operations and their numbers. Now, earlier this month, Starbucks withdrew its fiscal 2020 forecast Citing the dynamic nature of the coronavirus crisis, and Starbucks is not alone in this. Many of these uh, uh, Fortune 500 companies have stopped giving guidance because they just don't know what's going to happen with the crisis, uh, with this uh, economic uh, crisis uh, brought on by the coronavirus. So it's just hard to predict uh, what's going to happen and how this is going to shape out. So Starbucks is not alone in, in saying that we don't know. We can't see the future. Now, Starbucks said Tuesday that it, it expects its fiscal third quarter results to show steeper declines from the pandemic given that social d- distancing measures and stay-at-home orders went into place in the U.S. near the end of, the, end of March. So, right uh, to your point, uh, we're actually, uh, we haven't seen the full effect of, of the shutdown in this quarter, but next quarter we'll, we'll see a huge decline uh, in, in same-store same store sales. And EPS and transaction volume, I'm sure, will be uh, down in the U.S. China will be another story. So it's it's going to be a mixed bag uh, of earnings. Now, the company stated that based on their substantial experience in China, they expect the impact of COVID-19 to be temporary and that business will fully recover over time. So, they're, they're expecting uh, probably sometime uh, third quarter, end of third quarter or fourth quarter of this year, uh, calendar year, things starting to uh, get back to normal. So, that's it on Starbucks earnings. Do you have uh, any uh, questions that you, uh, you may have about any of the earnings or, or you know what uh, anything that, that uh, you uh, want some uh, clarification on? I'm not a Starbucks CEO, but no. anything that, that I can uh, put my two cents in? So, would you buy Starbucks right now? Uh, actually, uh, I'm already in Starbucks. So, I'll give let's you... Let's
1: say I have, um, I don't know, let's say I have 500 a 1000 bucks, and I say, based on what you just told me, is the, project, is the trajectory upwards for this yeah. stock, or, or yeah. what
0: do you think? Sure. In, in my opinion, yes. And I personally bought uh, Starbucks back in 2005 when uh the uh, current ceo and founder um came back uh to run starbucks and back then in 2005 they're kind of uh i think in my opinion really aggressive on their interna- international expansion and, the, and, and all, e- even in the united states and yet so many a lot of stores that were just too close together and so that kind of hurt their uh, earnings and, and their outlook But uh, that's about the time, I think it was around 2005, -2005, mid-2005, when um, we got the uh, CEO to come back, the founder to come back. uh, And he kind of put a a temporary freeze on new Starbucks locations and actually even consolidated some stores and closed some stores down. And kind of brought back the spirit, so to speak, of Starbucks back into the business. And since then, it's been growing. So I, I bought it back then. Uh, and in my opinion, it was a value stock back then. But uh, to see uh, where Starbucks has been just a couple of months ago versus now, I think it's it's it's, it's trading somewhere around 70 bucks. Mm-hmm. So it, in my opinion, it's still trading at a discount to its uh, uh, intrinsic value. So yeah, uh, it is a good buy. Now it can be a fantastic buy if it goes down further, but that's going to depend on on how the numbers shape out in, in the second quarter. We may have a leg uh, uh, down uh, when the second quarter numbers come in, but in my opinion, I think some of the bad news that's that's coming down the road is already priced into the stock because Wall Street is always forward-looking. So when, when, when uh, this uh, Tuesday, uh, when Starbucks had their conference call, and the CEO and CFO talked about uh, what's actually potentially coming down, I think uh, uh, it's already been discounted in the price of the stock. So the long answer to your question, uh, I think uh, Starbucks is a buy. I I think their
1: projection or their belief that things will return to normal by the end of Q4, Mm -hmm. calendar Q4, I think that's a little aggressive. I... Have, and this is my opinion right. I, I don't have any data to back this up I feel that there will be a small segment of the American psyche and it may be international psyche right. where people are just scared to go and sit in right. places near other people and that could be a plane it could be a restaurant right. a movie theater a, a sports stadium a coffee shop sure. so then you have to say how many people are going to walk in buy a coffee and leave exactly. um, because Starbucks there's something to be said for the experience exactly right absolutely i go there to study i go there to sit i go there to hang out i go there to people watch or pastime whatever and um i wonder if they'll regain a hundred percent of their sales consumer base whatever you want metric you want to use to to judge that by december 31st of 2020 i i don't know you guys can
0: uh you can uh, send me hate mail later <laughs> but yeah I think you, you may be right uh, is uh, it's, it's gonna depend on on uh, how safe people feel and when we get the vaccine so yeah there's there's gonna be some hesitation on even you know maybe even the hardcore Starbucks guys you know like you said in you know, the I used to study at Starbucks I I'd go to Starbucks all the time and sit for a while and maybe do some work whatever or just enjoy. So yeah, there, there, there may be some, some, uh, uh, issues, uh, um, with, with regard to people coming back, uh, and, and uh, yeah, coming back into the stores and, you know, uh, purchasing, uh, what they used to. So we'll see what happens. I wanted to uh, talk about, uh, since we're talking about uh, stocks, uh, one stock is really uh, right in the thick of things right now, is uh, Gilead. And so I know there's been a lot of news lately about Gilead and their um, treatment for COVID-19, a drug called remdesivir. There's some mixed news. I heard several weeks ago that there's some uh, study done in China on patients in China uh, that uh, wasn't very effective. Uh, didn't work well. And then there's some news that just came out this week that said that they did another study on a larger population and they're seeing some uh, really good results. And the FDA has actually, I think, given them uh, an emergency um, go-ahead for treatment. What are your thoughts on that? So I um, think
1: that we should explore drugs that have initial uh, signs of efficacy and Remdesivir certainly shows that in some early studies. I'm okay with that. I am not sure that people who haven't studied companies should just blindly throw money at companies Mm. without knowing what the company does, what it makes, what's its philosophy, and what's its financial health. Mm. And I, I brought this company up to you to discuss because a friend of mine from Florida asked me, what do you think about Gilead? Mm-hmm. and uh, I think he was asking me in terms of should he invest or not right. because he wants to get in on the latest and greatest craze. latest and greatest <laughs> um, drug company or vaccine company that might have a stock that pops right. because of, um, because of some, some financial return from the remdesivir. I, I, this company is interesting because people are buying it because of remdesivir, but if you look at the underlying portfolio of drugs... And Where the money comes from, I was actually surprised yesterday when I did the research. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes its money through HIV medications yeah. and
0: antivirus med- medication, too. Right, hepatitis B,
1: C, C, hepatitis C. C. It's a small segment, 80% of its money comes from HIV. HIV. Yeah. yeah, and uh, HIV medications get reimbursed very well. Right. Um, there is a uh, a, a lot of good compliance in terms of lifelong compliance. It's not a disease that has an end point right now. People are lifelong on these medications. It's got a good pipeline. All those things that uh, drug companies need to have. Right. So I was surprised to learn all these things about Gilead and the numbers and its financial health, how much cap- capital it has, and right. how it can weather this storm and, and such, and uh, be successful on the long term in terms of R&Ding this uh, remdesivir. Um I wanted to talk about it because I was pleasantly surprised that yeah. about this company. I don't think Remdesivir is where where it's going to make its money though. Right. I don't know. That's my personal thought.
0: Well, so uh, I uh, as far as what I know about Gilead I, and I, I, I have no stock investment in, in Gilead. But, I don't either.
1: Uh-huh. Unless it's some index fund yeah. In some index. Fund.
0: But uh, I, I, I looked at it uh, and in terms of their revenues, their trailing 12 months was $22 billion in revenues and they did operating uh, uh, income of $4 billion, which is very good, especially for uh, a uh, biopharmaceutical company. And that's, I guess, because of what you had mentioned, the HIV. And so that's, that's a home run. So uh, financially, their balance sheet looks really uh, good. Uh, you know, they're, they're liquid. Uh, they don't have too much debt. So I think uh, as far as like the balance sheet strength, the, uh, um, uh, the income, the royalties that they're getting from, from the drugs is, is solid. But in order for you to make money, I mean, good money, let's say you want you want a 20, 30% return in a year, unless unless remdesivir is a home run, I don't see uh, Gilead being a like a really uh, big home run. And I can tell you, actually, in my opinion, if remdesivir does not pan out, I can see Gilead going down from $77 to maybe $50. Bucks. So this is a kind of a risky play.
1: Can I throw out another thought?
0: Sure. Let's
1: say Remdesivir works. Right. How do you think Gilead is going to look if they start selling this coronavirus therapy at, I don't know, $20 per course, $30 mm-hmm. per course, $100 per course? They're going to have to balance out how they look in the public uh arena in terms of whether they're trying to make a lot of money off this one and only drug that's proven to work sure. um i know the ceo recently said they're going to donate one million doses or whatever right. but there's going to have there's they're going to have to play this uh, balance between making money off the drug but not look like they're uh fleecing the public for that's true you know for money so, here, so it's kind of a, a balance. For so here, here's Literally.
0: my here here's my stake on it. So if, if it is a home run, I think it's it's a trading play because then for a short period of time it's going to spike, and then like you said, you know, if they have to kind of balance uh, the uh, uh, the politics of it, the um, you know how, how people perceive you know big drug companies, you know, making money off of you know poor people people's back, so to speak, uh, to balance that, if they have to you know uh, uh, reduce the uh, the amount that they charge. Then uh, their you know revenues obviously from from rem, remdesivir will go on go down and so will the stock. So, I mean, to me, it's 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 basically a gamble. So it's speculative. It's it's it's, it's just speculative play basically. Yes. But fun to talk about. Fun, exactly exactly. <laughs> well, thank you very much about uh, your thoughts on on Gilead. I uh, wanted to just uh, quickly before we wrap up uh, give my thoughts on the outlook on the market. So right now the market, in my opinion, is 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 going through uh, a transition. You know, every day. You know, it seems like every week a market is either up three hundred points or down six hundred points. My opinion, my personal opinion, I think we will have another leg down. Uh, we might even test the uh, March twenty third lows on the Dow of uh, just over eighteen thousand. And I think uh, it's because we have not seen. Uh, it's at least in, in the numbers uh, on these publicly traded companies the effect of corona So when the Q2 numbers calendar year Q2 numbers come out for the major companies and even the mid caps and we get a, a sense of how bad uh, The economy really was and then how you know some of these companies are, are doing especially the oil companies. I think uh, we'll, we'll have another uh, leg down so uh, short-term there's going to be uh, volatility Midterm, I think we might see a leg down and then I can see the market kind of rebounding fourth quarter and then next year I anticipate uh, back to the uh, old highs. Uh, back to 24,000 and above so it is it's going to be good for for those traders out there it's going to be a really good environment for people to take advantage of that and then for long-term investors it's also it's going to be a good opportunity to to get in uh, in some of these positions at a at a much uh, lower base so I think all in all uh, short term volatility midterm we can see a, a market going down and then long term I think back up to the old highs so those are my thoughts on, on where the market is and where it's headed. Any thoughts uh, before we wrap up? No, I just wanted to say thank you for having me. Uh, let
1: me know when you want to talk again. But it's been fun, and um, I hope you continue to do this and educate the educate everybody, all of us, about topics uh, Wall Street and Main Street related. Hey, thank
0: you very much. I sure do appreciate, uh, Dr. digger your time and, and your wisdom, pearls of wisdom. Uh, so now hopefully somebody will listen now that, that I had an expert, medical expert on and somebody who also knows some uh, something about stocks. So thank you very much. I uh, look forward to doing this again. I uh, hope to continue doing these podcasts and then uh, sharing my wisdom, whatever that is, uh, and then talking about the market since it is my passion. So thank you very much again, Dr. J, uh, for joining me. I look forward to seeing you again. And until next week, thank you very much for joining Wall Street to Main Street. Have a good week.